Good morning, everybody. My name is Alvin. I'm lead pastor here at the church. And for those of you who are here for the first time, I'm glad you're here. It means a lot that you spent uh, your Easter Sunday with us. And I pray that you enjoy yourselves. I really enjoyed myself. The music was awesome today. And I just want to thank the team for serving and leading us so well. Um, We're going to get into the scriptures and the word for today. Before we do, I would like for all of us to say our pre-word declaration together. Let's prepare our minds and hearts for the word. So repeat after me if you can. Say, the word of God is the bread of life. life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. So the theme for 2022, if you're new, is it's withstanding the wind. That's the title. That's a theme for our year. And it's inspired by a passage in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. And it says, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is a metaphor that John the Baptist was using when describing Jesus. And he's comparing Jesus to a harvester of wheat. And when you're harvesting wheat, it's a process involved called winnowing. And it's when you allow the natural winds or you can generate winds with a fan to separate the wheat, the good part that we eat, from the chaff, the part that we're not supposed to eat. And John is saying just like a harvester allows this winnowing process when he's gathering wheat, Jesus will do the same thing when harvesting his people. And it's important for us to understand this so we can know how to interpret and handle uh, the winds that blow through our lives, the figurative winds. And it's important for us to know this so that we can withstand the wind because chaff is very loose and wind blows chaff away. And unfortunately, the Bible says there's going to become a time where the winds of our day are going to be so strong that many are going to fall away. And he tells us that not to scare us, but to inform us so that we're prepared, so that we're built up, and we have the constitution and the faith and the resilience and the endurance to withstand the wind. So every month we're talking about a different wind specifically, and for April we've been talking about the winds of fear, the winds of fear. Webster defines fear as uh, an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. When you're scared of something, we're usually anticipating the end of something that we either like or we've grown accustomed to. And when you sense danger, there's this innate feeling that whatever is about to end and that whatever could be your physical life. Some of us are afraid that that's going to end. Our, our career could end. We're afraid that a relationship might end. We might be anticipating the end of an era or a chapter of our lives that, like I said, either that we love or we've grown a lot very comfortable with. 
um, anything that we find security in or pleasure in, when we sense that that is in danger of ending, uh, we often get afraid. When we fear we're at risk of losing something, what happens is when you're afraid, you, you, you tense up and you get on the defense mode. And that's very unfortunate because God intended for life to be enjoyed. But if you spend all of your energy trying not to lose what you think is in danger, you miss out on living the abundant life that God originally intended for us to live. Which is why fear is, it's a robber. It's a robber of joy. It's a robber of faith. And the Lord wants us to know how to withstand it when it comes. Because the emotion will come. But if you are trained on how to withstand it, it will not be victorious in your life. The source of fear um, is... Not what we often think the source of our fear is. Most of us would connect our fear to a certain scenario or a circumstance or maybe that nightmare that you got or that you get frequently. Uh, the source of fear, believe it or not, is not that family member. It's not that ex of yours. It's not, it's not that parent. It's not that boss. It's actually someone very specific, and he has many names in the Bible, but the big one is Satan. He's known as Satan. He's known as Prince of Darkness. The Bible calls him the adversary. The Bible calls him the devil. There's the Lucifer, the enemy, uh, the father of lies. There's a lot of names. Jesus called him, one of the names he called him was the thief. And in John 10, verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only, which means he has a very specific objective, and it's very sinister, naturally. Um, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And then he says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So we see that the adversary, the devil, is trying to steal from us, kill us, and destroy. And, and Everything that we have going well in our lives, he wants to kill. And this is a reality that every Christian needs to be aware of. As long as Satan is around, and yes, he's defeated, but many of us can testify that he's still around. Even though he's defeated, the world is proof that he is still around. And as long as he is around, there is a target on your life. And yes, I mean you. There is a target on your life. There is a target on your possessions. There is a target on your confidence. There is a target on your peace. There is a target on your bank account. There is a target on your marriage. There is a target on your kids. There is a target on your dreams. And most importantly, there is a target on your faith. Because God, the enemy knows that Faith is the door that unlocks all of the possibilities of what God has for his children. And as long as your faith can be weak and as long as your faith can be suppressed, he knows that the door to all of God's blessings are closed in your life. So he's always trying to target your faith because the minute you lose your faith, you lose all of the possibilities that God has planned for your life. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says... Be sober-minded and watchful. 
Now, there's a difference in being paranoid and afraid. The Bible is calling us to be sober and watchful, not paranoid and scared. There is a difference. Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And because of this truth, there is a widespread pandemic of fear. And this is way before COVID was even thought of. There has been a widespread pandemic of fear since the beginning of time. People are running around terrorized because the enemy is bringing fear of danger. People believe their finances are in danger. People believe their health is in danger. They believe their social status is in danger. Their love life is in danger. Kids, my kids are in danger. My parents are in danger. Some people even believe their salvation is in danger. And this is some subconscious knowledge that I believe that every human being has of the work of Satan. I believe that the whole world um, is wrestling with fear um, of Satan's work. And I say Satan's work specifically because I believe even if you don't believe that Satan exists, you're still scared of what he does. There are people out here who don't even believe that Satan is real but are still having that sense of fear because they believe in the work that he does, even if they don't believe in him. It kind of reminds me of Jesus. When people weren't believing Jesus, he said, well, at least believe in the work that I'm doing. Like, see what I'm doing. Like, let the work show. So even if people don't believe in Satan, they still are scared of what he does, that, that something is trying to kill and destroy and steal from my life. The good news is that there is no need to fear Satan or his work. The sad news is that few people are willing to do what it takes to be set free from this fear. The good news is you don't have to fear him. The sad news that history has shown is few, Jesus says few, are actually willing to walk the narrow road that, that will exempt you from this fear of this, this Satan character that is so real in our lives. I want us to understand that for those of us who want to be set free and who want to continue walking in freedom from fear, I want us to understand how fear works. Fear is actually a byproduct of, a, of something else. Satan's primary vehicle, and I'll go as far to say his only vehicle into the lives in this room and into our world at large is a word called sin. Sin is the vehicle that Satan has to have access into the world that we have today. And I was thinking about it. I was like, well, then the solution is easy. Let's just cancel sin. Let's just cancel it. Let's just say, sin, you're out. And as simple and as awesome as that solution would be, we have a small dilemma that's told to us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, which says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the reason why it's not just this easy solution of let's just get rid of sin is because the Bible says that everybody is doing it. And not only do they do it, but they raise families, and then the families are born, and the kids do it, and they get older, and they have kids, and then they do it, and this is perpetual cycle of sin, so you can never, like, kill it. 
because the next person's already stepping into it. One person's dying, another person's stepping right into it. One person's last sin is the next person's first one. So I got another solution that seems pretty logical. Let's just tell everybody to stop. Let's just say quit. Let's just, let's just stop sinning. Let's, just, let's all get social media and put post ups. Everyone stop sinning. And if, if enough people repost it, then by 7 o'clock tonight, the world will be free of sin because we all stopped. That was the solution. Now, as simple as that sounds, there's another dilemma, and that is sin is more than just an action. Sin is a curse. Sin opens the door to a curse, and a curse is not a light matter. A curse is supernatural. So the only way something supernatural can be dealt with is through another thing that's supernatural. So human beings, we have this, this, this curse of sin in our lives, and we're all running around scared because this curse carries fear. It also carries shame, which is why so many people are ashamed deep in their heart because these are all symptoms of the curse. And a curse is supernatural. And only things that are supernatural can conquer a curse, which really puts us in a bad position because we're flesh and blood. We come from the dirt. We go back to the dirt. So the flesh... And the spirit are like oil and water. You can't venture into spiritual things via flesh and blood, which puts us at a great disadvantage. Another thing to learn about a curse is that it's evil. And the only thing that can cure or conquer evil is good. Just like the only thing that can conquer darkness is light. The only thing that can conquer a curse is something holy. Only holiness can break a curse. Only, you can wish all day, you can spin around, you can touch your nose, you can travel to 10 buck two, you can do all of these things, but only holiness breaks a curse, which means we are at a double disadvantage, because not only are human beings flesh and blood, but we're also full of sin. So we're kind of stuck here. But God, but God. Thank God for God. God, we thank you for you. Because God, while we're disqualified in those two areas, God, the Bible says that God is a spirit, which means he's supernatural. So he has access into the supernatural world because he's a spirit. And not only is he a spirit, but he's holy. So he has both of the requirements needed to break an evil curse. He's spirit and he's holy. So he is actually the one qualified to break this curse that is plaguing people. One more detail. We learned on Good Friday that the curse of sin actually got into the bloodstream of humanity. It's not just in our head. It's not just in our body. It's not just on our back. It's actually in our blood. So in order for the curse of sin 
in our human blood to be broken, God had to bring his spirit and his holiness in the form of human blood. And that's where we get our great Savior, Jesus. Jesus is God incarnate. He is the God, he is God in human form. So even though he's God, he has all the properties of a human being. He's got a nose, he's got eyes, he's got he's got a chin, he's got shoulders, he's got a wrist, he's got white blood cells and red blood cells, he's got joints, he's got tendons, he's got muscles, he's got all the stuff that we've got. So he comes in human form, but he's spirit and he's holy. And he is the one who comes to break the curse. On the cross, when he sheds his blood, it's the blood that was able to redeem us from our blood, which is corrupt down to the core. And the blood of Jesus comes and redeems us from our corrupt blood. Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15 says, And you, he's talking about us, he goes, And you who were dead in your trespasses, which means sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, which means you were not holy, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, which means all of our sins, even the ones that you thought about, all of those too, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This, talking about our sins, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And this is the part that gets me excited. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities that put the, and sorry, and put them, talking about the rulers and authorities, to open shame. There's another translation that says he made a public spectacle out of the rulers and the authorities, triumphing over them in him. Now, the rulers and authorities that, I'm, that, that we're talking about in this scripture, just like there's the kingdom of God, there's the kingdom of darkness, just like the kingdom of God has their commander-in-chief, which is Jesus, and all the angels and all the saints submit to him, the kingdom of darkness has a commander-in-chief, and it's the devil. And he has a whole team, a whole infrastructure, a very sophisticated infrastructure of rank and order of demons and evil spirits that, are, that go out and do whatever the Lord, Satan, tells them to do. So what happens is all of the rulers and authorities that bring all the sin in the world, that one that's whispering in your ear, the one that's leading you to do the thing that you know you shouldn't do, those kind of just, you can sense it, they're, they're, you can't feel them, you can't see them, but you can sense a draw to sin. Those are demons and spirits that are trying to rule your life and lead you away from the truth and into bondage. The Bible says those same demons that have been trying to torment human beings for years and have been unfortunately successful for generations, Jesus took them and put them to open shame by conquering them on the cross. And I thought about the conquering on the cross and how that worked and, and what that means and why was it, how was it done. And my mind immediately went to, to uh, wrestling. That's the, that's the analogy that I got and when I think of Jesus on the cross, the Bible says all of the sins of the world were laid on him. I believe every ruler of darkness, every authority in darkness, every spirit of darkness was literally all on Jesus, on top of him. Like they were laid on him. So they were actually on top 
in that moment. And when I think about wrestling, sometimes you'll see where one guy is on top of the other and it looks like he's won. But the cool thing about wrestling is they teach you different techniques of how even when you're down, you can move your shoulder in a way or you can move your knee in a way where you can actually gain leverage. And even though you're on the bottom, you can flip it to where the person who's on top is now under you. That's In my mind, that's what happened in the grave. So Jesus is actually under the rulers of darkness. He's actually under sin, which is crazy because he's the king of kings, he's the lord of lords, and he allowed himself to experience a period of time where he was actually under the rulers and authorities of darkness. And it takes him all the way down to the grave. I mean, it was a lot of weight on him, so much weight that it took him all the way down to the grave. But something happened under the ground. Something happened during those three days. Something happened in that tomb where he had some sort of Holy Spirit technique where he was able to move around and flip sin and the curse of death on its back. And when he rose from the grave, that was, that was basically the victory sign that he is now on top of sin. Sin might have been on top of him in the cross, but when he rose from the grave, he was finally on top of sin. And that's amazing. Good for Jesus, right? But my, but, but, but my fear is there are too many Christians who are saying good for Jesus and not realizing that it's good for me too. It is not enough to just be happy for Jesus, that he conquered sin. Jesus was already over sin. Jesus was never under sin. He, he, always why he went through that is so that we can say good for us. He didn't need to die on the cross to be over sin. He, was, he, he died on the cross because we were under sin. So until we make the, the, the connection that the resurrection was 100% for us, we're still missing it. We can celebrate, we can have cake, we can have Easter eggs, we can do all the things, but as long as it's just Jesus' victory, you have totally missed the point. Jesus didn't need to die for victory. Jesus himself said, I watched Satan get kicked out of heaven. He's always been over Satan. So this wasn't a big day for him, it was a big day for us. Colossians chapter 1 explains this beautifully. Colossians chapter 1, 18 through 20 says, He, talking about Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. That means he's the head of this group. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. I'm going to stop there because really the focus that I want to point out is that If someone tells you that, let's say you're talking to a set of parents, and they're like, yeah, you know, Johnny's our firstborn, that's an indication that there's a second, there's a third, there's a fourth. That usually means that there's more kids involved, because the first means, unless it's the only. I think it's on purpose that Jesus said, that the the word says that Jesus is the firstborn, because he was not intended to be the only child. Jesus was the firstborn. He was the first human being that walked the earth with sin under his feet. 
He is the first human being that walked the earth having zero fear of Satan. He is the first human being that walked around knowing that his future was secured and that if the Father is for him, no one can be against him. He is the first person who was able to look at sickness and disease in the eyes and say, get out of here. He is the first person who was able to take authority over addiction and actually break curses. But guys, he was not the only one. He was the first of many. He became the first so that we could be the second and the third and the fourth and the millionth and the zillionth. He's, he was intended to be the firstborn of many human beings who walk over sin, who walk over the power of the enemy. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. I'm going to finish the passage because it sums it up. It says, and you. So the first part is talking about and he. Verse 18 says, and he's. They're talking about all the stuff that Jesus did. He did this, and he conquered this. And then it says he's the firstborn, which to me is like there's something else. Verse 21 says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind. I don't know if some of y'all can remember this, but I actually remember being hostile in my mind towards righteousness. I actually remember being hostile in my thought life and my philosophy. I, I, had, I was opposed in my thoughts towards the ways of God. I knew the ways of God, but I had hostility in my belief system from God. So I can totally, he's talking, I'm, I'm one of the yous in this. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, Doing evil deeds definitely did those. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, us, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Guys, just because we're saved, um, you don't forget, at least not easily, the sins of your past. Unfortunately, I wish we did it. Like, unfortunately, when you get saved, you don't get, amnesia is not a part of the package deal. You get forgiven, but that memory is still there. And because of that memory of our sins, some of us still struggle with accepting that we have been made holy through Jesus. Holy means pure. It means without sin, without blemish. And then it says blameless. Even though we did these bad things, the Bible says that through Jesus, he doesn't hold them against you anymore. So even though you've done it, your track record shows that you haven't done it. Your slate in his eyes is totally clean as if you never did any sins, even though you did a whole lot of them. And above reproach before him. This is what Jesus makes available to anybody who chooses to make him Lord. Not just pal, not just a good luck charm, but your authority for your life. He only works if he's Lord. I feel like I need to tell that to somebody. The deal only works if he's Lord. He has no other offer. He has an offer of a life, but that offer, he has to be Lord of your life. Otherwise, the deal's off. Like, it actually doesn't even hold up until he's Lord. Some of y'all needed to hear that. 
He presents you holy, blameless, and above reproach before you. And then verse 23, which is why we're spending the whole year of 2022 specifically talking about how to stand firm in windy times. Because there's a condition to this promise. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith, not just start in the faith. There's unfortunately a ton of people who start but the number gets less of people who actually continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. Stable means even when it's windy, you're standing firm because you're rooted in, in, in the word of God. Steadfast means you are persisting even when it's hard, even when it seems like all of the earth and all of hell is against you, you keep pressing forward in steadfastness. And then this part spells it out perfectly. Not shifting. You shift when there's winds, which is why we must learn how to not shift, even when we feel all the winds hitting our way. And if you keep your eyes on Jesus, he will train you. He will teach you how to keep your composure, how to keep your faith, how to keep your hope, how to keep your stance. Even when, I mean, he trains you almost like before you go into space, they put you in environments so you can learn how to handle so that when it actually happens, that's what your life is right now. The Lord is actually allowing winds to be in your life so you can be someone who knows how to stand firm even when everything is going, and this guy is falling over, this woman's tumbling around like a tumbleweed, and you're like right here. You can't just wish that for that to happen. You have to be trained, which is why none of us can afford to miss this assembly. None of us can afford hearing the teaching of the word, missing, missing hearing the teaching of the word. None of us can miss time in our Bible because we have to be trained to be unshifting people in a time as turbulent as 2022. The Lord says, I will train you if you take on my yoke and learn with me day by day. I will show you how to stay stable and not shift during this time because there's so many promises that are yours if you learn how to not shift. If you learn how to hold on strong and stay steadfast and continue in the faith, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. A lot of people are hearing the gospel today. A lot of people. And it's amazing. But this Bible shows me that it's one thing to hear it and receive it today. But what about two days from now? What about two weeks from now? What about two years and 12 years and 20 years from now? The Lord wants to actually give you the ability to not just hear it and be excited and it's totally gone by lunch. The Lord can actually give you the ability to look back and say, man, it's been 20 years since I first heard the gospel and I'm still walking in faith. This is the promise. This is why Jesus died for us. I really want to end stressing how, how literal, how, how, how literally 
The life of Jesus has been given to you. The life of Jesus. I'm thinking about Jesus when he when he's walking the earth after the resurrection. The Bible says that he actually spent time on earth and people saw him. They had conversations with him after he rose from the grave. They saw him with their own eyes. And I'm thinking of the confidence that a human being must have knowing that sin has been conquered and that they are now victorious over his work. And I just feel the need to tell you guys that the same confidence, the same resurrection life that was running through his veins when he was walking the earth post-resurrection is the same life that he has given to you. The Bible says that the same resurrection power that rose him from the grave, that same spirit that was strong enough to body slam sin and death in that wrestling analogy, the Bible says that anybody who chooses Jesus, that exact same spirit that was able to body slam and conquer death is living in you. This is why it's not enough to just go, cool, good for Jesus. No, because that same spirit he has given to anyone who chooses him. So I really want that standard to be in your life. Guys, let's elevate our standard. Let's elevate the, the, our belief system, our theology, and let's understand that the same victory that Jesus purchased on the cross is for you to enjoy. And don't feel bad if it doesn't happen overnight because it's not going to happen overnight. You have to learn how to do this. This is where discipleship comes in. There's a reason why Jesus said just, he didn't say go and make converts. He said go and make disciples because you can convert, but if you don't learn how to live with this salvation and apply it to your life, you, the Bible says that you'll actually run the risk of being useless. I mean, imagine receiving the power of the resurrection of God and being useless with it. That's a tragedy. That's even worse than not even receiving it. If you receive it and it doesn't do any good in your life, talk about depressing. That's sad, which is why we must be disciples and learn how to walk with the Spirit and hear the voice of God and obey him in the minuscule things of our lives and the, the small things that we don't even think that God cares about. The Lord wants to totally train you to stand firm and to be a solid rock. The Bible says an oak tree of righteousness. That's his calling for you. That's why he died. Not just for you to come to church and hear a message and go eat, which we are going to do. Praise God. God forbid that's why he came, right? He came for so much more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for what you purchased on the cross. God, I pray, Father, for any person who hasn't made the connection that the resurrection was for them. Lord, I pray, Lord, that through today's message, they would understand that you did everything for them. You came to the earth for them. You, you lived and did your ministry for them. You fasted and, and prayed for them. You were falsely accused for, for them, God. You, you, you were crucified. For them, you were whipped and you bled for the people in this room. You conquered death for them. You rose from the grave for everybody in this room. God, help us to see how significant we were in this plan. How we 
We're the reason why you did it. God, so I pray that we would take advantage, full advantage of what you purchased on the cross. Let not an ounce of victory that you bled for be in vain in any person's life today. I pray, Lord, that they would live lives that you had in mind when you were hanging on that cross. Lord, you had a vision for every single person in this room. And you died so that vision can come to life. God, so for anybody in this room who's living subpar to the vision that you have for their lives and the victory that you purchased from their lives, for their lives, anybody who who's, hasn't redeemed all of the victory, all of the power that you have made available to us, God, I pray, Lord, that they would reach out in faith right now and receive it. God, I pray, Lord, that they would acknowledge that there is more for their lives. And Lord, though we're flesh and blood, you give us your Holy Spirit so we're able to access the supernatural blessings that are reserved for us. So I pray, Lord, that faith would rise, hope would rise, vision would come, and they will be motivated to take steps towards the destiny that you purchased for them on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. I believe you are opening hearts today to receive your love. I believe that you are breaking down barriers and in people's mindsets. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that fear is no longer a necessity. It's no longer needed. We don't have to fear anymore. Not because we're so big and great, but because you paid a price for us to be set free from the power of sin, the curse of sin that, that leaves us scared all the time. God, we break that curse in the name of Jesus. And we walk in confidence. We walk in faith. We walk in humility. And we walk under your lordship. You are Lord. And we will follow you. So if you're ready to make a declaration that seals that, either for the first time or for the 30th time, let's all stand. And I'm going to... Lead us in a quick prayer. And this prayer is going to be words that if you believe it in your heart and you confess it, the Lord will now accept you and consider you a son and a daughter that's welcome at his table, that's welcome in his presence. Whenever you want to talk to him, he's there. And he will treat you with the same favor that he treats Jesus. He will treat you with the same favor and the same attention that he does his only begotten son. You are one with Christ if you believe this prayer and if you speak it. So let's say it together. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead 
on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'm so grateful for salvation. I'm so grateful for the promise. Thank, I'm so thankful that he rose so I can live. He rose from the grave so that we could experience a new life. I believe that today is the start of a life that some of you guys didn't even know was possible. I would say that it's a life that you've only dreamed about, but I actually believe that there are people in this room who are about to embark on a life that you haven't even dreamed about. That's just how good God's grace is going to be for your life. So I congratulate you. If you said yes to Jesus, we would love for you to let us know. We have a prayer team that will be here. They'll pray for whoever needs prayer at the end. You can also text BELONG to that same number, 77411. And you can let us know you said yes to Jesus. And we'll just share some free resources to write to your phone online. And you'll have some scriptures that'll give you a strong start with Jesus. Um, so come down for prayer or let us know. We have next steps at the end of our second service, which starts in 15 minutes. Um, and if you would like to give, uh, thank you in advance. You can give online or we have our finance team with buckets in the back. Please, uh, if you give, we, we thank you. We, we really appreciate it so we can continue doing this ministry. And we love you. I want to pray and wish you a great morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you again for your presence. Let the word of God go past their ears and into their heart. Let it produce fruit in their life that will not only bless their lives, but will bless their families and their communities. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Have a great rest of your day, y'all. Love you.